John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to say that one more time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Say that with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. One more time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I thank you for this time. Be with us these next few moments. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. Father, we need you like never before. Let this word come forth with clarity and understanding. We need you. We need your way. We need your truth, and we need your life. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We all said, before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, I'm so glad you're here. Then you may be seated. Just a couple weeks ago, we were able to celebrate one of the greatest days in our Christian faith, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We had our resurrection Sunday. Every time I look at that cross, I just, I thank God for that cross. Now, we were here, and we were able to share and talk about how the, the cross in and of itself was a shameful, disgusting, vile uh, symbol. And to those that were living at that time, that was a shameful thing that happened. But when that was done, there was victory that happened. Can I hear an amen? So here this morning, I actually kind of want to go along those lines in the same way, but sharing the cross in a different light, sharing the cross in a different manner, that we need to make sure that we as Christians understand that there's so much more going on at the cross than what we see. Many Christians, a lot of times, make the cross solely about heaven and hell. It's only about heaven and hell. Now, when we celebrated this, and we celebrated this Christian faith, a lot of times we miss meanings in celebrations. I have been on a lot of teams where we've celebrated a lot of things, celebrated a lot of, of winnings. And there's a lot of people around, and they celebrate with us, but they forget the meaning of how we even got there for that celebration. They're able to celebrate and throw confetti in, but when it comes down really to it and you see people crying in celebration, people look at you crying and go, why are you crying? Because you don't understand what I went through to get this celebration. You don't understand what I had to go through to get here. And these are not tears of depression. These are tears of joy. So a couple of weeks ago, we had tears of, of victory and, and tears of, of celebration we were having. But do we truly understand what it took to get to that point? Do we truly understand what it is? We celebrated the death of our Savior on this cross where only Jesus could die on a Friday and call it good. Only him can be able to make, himself can be able to make something where death happens be called good. We celebrated the burial because we as Christians knew that even Jesus wasn't there. We celebrated the victory over death, hell, and the grave. But what I've learned in the celebrations is that we can miss the moment. The true epic happenings of victory, which led to the celebration itself, which gave us heaven which gave us uh, a glimpse into eternity. But what I have found that many times people celebrate the fact that we're going to heaven, but yet they're miserable here on earth. Miserable here within their life. So many different men and women, so many different Christians walking around with an angry spirit. You're on your way to heaven, but you're angry in your spirit. You're celebrating that victory, but while you're here on earth, you have a spiteful spirit. 
looking envious and jealous and angry. But I'm here to tell you, there is so much more going on to that cross and the victory into heaven, but there's actually victory here on earth. There is a victory that is here on earth. So what am I saying? I'm saying that there's so much more going on at the cross than just heaven and hell. I was talking with somebody the other day, and I was asked this question, and I asked this, this, I asked this person the same question. And that is this, and this is very important because this is the, uh, the context of where I'm going with this message, and that is this. If heaven and hell is not the question, is Jesus still worth following? We talk about the cross in heaven, but what about the cross here on earth? And if heaven and hell is not the question, let's just put that to the side. Now, I want to make this very clear. When it comes to the cross, it is about heaven and hell. I want to make sure that's very, very clear. But if we were to put that to the side, is Jesus still worth following if it's not about heaven and hell? Is his ways still the ways to go? Is he still the way, the truth, and the life for your life? Or is it just I accepted him just to get into heaven? So that is the question I give to you here this morning. There's a a story I heard of, of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. I don't know if you've heard it before. But there's a story where Sherlock Holmes and, uh, and, and Watson, they decided to go on a camping trip. And after they were there on the camping, they had some dinner, and then they had a bottle of wine, and then they laid down under the starry night, and they went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke, and he nudged his faithful friend. He says, Watson, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me, what do you see? Watson replied, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? Watson pondered for a minute. He said, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why, my friend Holmes, what does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a minute. Then he spoke. Watson, you idiot, someone stole our tent. So many times, so many people, they come up with these astounding uh, 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 verbiage and so these great uh, pronunciations of words, but they really miss the meaning of why they're even there. You can come up and try to be as smart as you want and try to rationalize everything and, and get it all down, but if there is no application to that cross, then you're missing the whole meaning. Somebody once said, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And by the same token, don't be so earthly-minded that you're not any heavenly good. See, what you and I must understand, we come to church to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's why we're here, for God to transform us. Listen, we need to be transformed. Tell your neighbor, be transformed. 
We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not by the experiences of our past. So often we come here to church and we try to rationalize our future by the happenings of our past. But I'm here to tell you here this morning, my friend, God wants to transform you. God wants to change you. God wants to challenge you. There's so much more going on at the cross than just getting you into heaven. He wants to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. I, I like the way the title of the album I once heard from Darlene Check says, Touching Heaven, Changing Earth. Touching Heaven, Changing Earth. My friend, just don't touch the cross to get to heaven. Touch the cross to bring heaven to earth. Bring heaven to earth. See, my friend, that's what it's all about. And I want to make sure that we don't miss the, the Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate it, but we can miss the true meaning of what that victory really is see my friend here this morning I want to make sure that we understand that Christ himself wanted to do some changing while he was here on earth and if he wanted to do some changing with his disciples I believe that he wants to change even us as disciples can I hear an amen say this with me say identification not content tell your neighbor identification not content how many here have an ID Right, you have a, how many here drive, I should say? If you drive, you should have a driver's license, which is called a ID. It's your ID. The identification helps people recognize who you are and what you can do. It doesn't say everything about you, but it says a lot about you. Your identification. As a disciple, as a person, you have to be a person who is identified with the cross. In other words, when I look at your ID, can I not only see that you're going to heaven, but that you can bring some heaven to your situation? Your ID as a Christian. If you were to pull out your celestial ID, your heavenly ID, can I tell that if you're in my situation, there's going to be some heaven here on earth? Or if you don't have an ID, then I can expect a little bit of hell. Do you have an ID? Matthew chapter 18, turn with me there. This is very important. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. You're going to see what I'm talking about here. I'm going to try my best to teach a little bit, kind of bring my voice volume a little down if I could, but if I don't and I crack, <clears throat> just forgive me. Amen. This is a, a lot better crack to have. Amen. If you're doing that other crack, don't do that crack. I'm talking to Victory Outreach. I know what I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. If you have it, say, mm-hmm. <laughs> then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Isn't that just like Peter? He's answering his own question. It's crazy, huh? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags, some of your translations say 10,000 talents of gold. Now, this is very important. Let's stop right here real quick because I want to make sure. Because when I was reading this, uh, you ever read this and go, well, how much is that? You ever read that before? Has anybody else ever read it and wondered how much is 10,000 bags or what's a talent? One talent is worth 20 years wages. One talent of gold, one bag. 
So if one talent is worth 20 years' wages, 10,000 talents is basically doing Dr. Evil a bajillion, billion, gazillion dollars. That's basically what he's saying. In other words, it's too much to count. That's what he's saying. It's way too much. Okay, so here he says 10,000 bags of bajillion gold. It's not going to be happening. Was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that had been sold to be repaid the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Canceled the debt and let him go. Now, this is very important because whenever we study and we look at these stories in particular, what's something that really got me is that every time a question was given to Jesus, or just about every time, Jesus would then not just give them a straight answer, but it would actually give them a story. Or even sometimes question them back. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Or some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses. Who do you say that I am? Right? Every time, just about every time. And this was very important because when it came to asking a question to Jesus, as a teacher, he wanted to teach them something. In other words, not just give them the answer, but I want to show you something. I want to show you something here within your life that is beyond what you see with your natural eyes. And so what is happening here is Jesus is talking to the disciples, the Hebrew people. He's talking to the Jews, and he's giving them a story. Somebody say a story. Now, what's very important is that as the listener was listening, he was not listening to the story to give bullets. In other words, see, like right now, some of you, you're taking notes, right? And you're taking notes, and you're, oh, that's a good point. That's really good, right? Oh, that, oh that's a good point. And, and, and especially with us, within the way that we think and the way that I was taught and the way that I was brought up is that you listen for content, What's the content? Oh, that's a good point right there. I like that point. I'm going to write that down. What do we call it? Especially within Victory Outreach, we go, ooh, that's a nugget right there. Right? So we listen for nuggets. Oh, that's good stuff. Write that down. Twitter that. That's good. I'm Facebooking that bad boy. That's a good one. So the way we listen is for little excerpts, little nuggets. But the way they listen for is for identification. In other words, who am I in the story? As they tell the story, as you share the story, if I'm going to learn, I want to learn who am I. Tell your neighbor, who are you? So when you read the parables and you find Jesus sharing the parables, right? There's so many different parables that Jesus talks about. He talks about the wise and the foolish builders, the, uh, the pearl of great price, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan. A matter of fact, even the good Samaritan, right? That's a three-point message, as they would say, right? The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. But what they were listening for, they were not listening for, okay, what is the priest about? What is the Levi about? They were listening for identification. Well, I'm not the priest. I'm definitely not the Levi. I must be the other guy. So I must be the Samaritan. So what does now the Samaritan do? They listen for identification. Who am I? What must I do to be like you? What must I do to bring a little bit of that, that door opening from heaven, and bring it to earth. What must I do? Who am I in the story? 
So here, Peter's asking Jesus a question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And so right here in the book of Matthew chapter 18, let's pick it up in verse 28. This is very important. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 18. It says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, a hundred silver coins was worth one day's wage. Now, remember, he owed a bajillion, zillion, gazillion dollars, right? Remember that. That's how much he owed. But he's now finding somebody who owes him just like, hey, you owe me a hundred bucks. That's what's going on right here. So you guys see the contrast of what's going on? Okay, here we go. It says, he grabbed him and choked him. Have you ever choked anybody or been choked? No bueno. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Somebody say debt. Then in verse 31, it says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, You wicked servant. I don't know about you, but that's a scary word, wicked. Whenever you read that word wicked, be very mindful of what is happening in the midst of wickedness, I'm telling you. He says, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of your millions and millions of dollars that you begged me to because you said so. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant who just owed you $100? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how, the, the, verse 35, this is crazy. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I read that again last night, and again, I was just kind of stood there and was thinking, that's scary. Think, I mean, just think about that for a quick second. The way that you forgive others is the way that God is going to forgive you. Or your lack of forgiveness is how the Heavenly Father is going to treat you. Let that just sink in there for a second. That's crazy. This to me is probably one of the heaviest scriptures. One of the heaviest scriptures that you'll probably ever, ever read. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat you. Now this is very important. Remember, this is very important. If heaven and hell is not the issue, is Jesus still the way to go? Remember that. If heaven and hell is not the issue, is Jesus still the way to go? Now, what we're always taught, you just must forgive and forget. But the honest to God truth is, you're not wired to forgive and forget. You're wired to forgive and remember. Oh, I'll forgive you, but I'll remember. I ain't never letting that happen again. You ain't never doing that to me, right? Now, keep this in mind. If heaven and hell is not the issue, is Jesus still the way to go? Because Jesus is here telling them and teaching them a story. See, Jesus' way is not forgive and forget. No, you're, you're going to remember, but he says forgive and cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. 
They don't owe you anything. Now, I've shared this before, and this is very important, but I, I think it's worth sharing four or five times over. When it comes to forgiveness and it comes to canceling the debt, this is very important of how you live your life. Because remember, we're talking about bringing a little bit of heaven to earth, right? Can we do that right now? You want to know how to bring heaven to earth? Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Because remember, when you go up there and you get before him in front of those pearly gates, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom. Right? That's, those are the words that we want to hear. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Instead of the reverse, which is depart from me, you wicked. Well, what, what did I do? You got a lot of debts there with you. There's a whole lot of debt. If I'm going to allow you to come in here, how come you didn't allow someone to come into you? Be forgiven by you. That's how our heavenly fathers get right. That's what the word says here. So see, this is very, very important. And this, is a, this was a brand new teaching of what Jesus was doing to the disciples and to the Jewish people. This is a brand new way of thinking. And so the challenge that was being given to them is the same challenge that has been given to us. Listen to me. Are you walking around with canceled debt or are you walking around with transferred debt? See, that's the question that I present to you here this morning. Are you walking around with canceled debt or are you walking around with transfer debt? Now, this is very important because there's only three things that can happen to a debt. It's very important. I know I'm not talking about money, but you can apply it to money at the same time. Only three things that can happen to debt. One, it gets paid off, right? Just pay the thing off. And he paid a debt I did not owe. I owe a debt I could not. I love that song. I needed someone to wash my, Mom, we need some, can we have an old school month? Can we do that one of these days? I want to do that one of these. How many would love an old school mother? We would just do old school songs. We're going to do, okay, we're going to do that. Where's AJ and Vince? Where are you guys at? All right, there it is. Put it on the calendar. We're going to have it right there. Right, he paid a debt I did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Oh, but now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt. That I could never pay. I can't believe I remember that song. I told you I was a little kid, but I just didn't do any drugs. I remember. <coughs> so when it comes to debt, only three things can happen. Number one, it has to get paid off. Somebody has to pay the debt. Or cancel the debt. Nobody owes anybody anything. It's done. It's squashed. Or transfer the debt. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. It may not be you. But somebody is going to have to pay for what you owe me. Now, this is very important because there is a way that we can live a life where we cancel the debt, but we really don't. We cancel a debt, but we really don't. What's happening is we're, we're kind of just passing the debt and saying, okay, all right, fine. But really what we're doing is we're transferring the debt. What happened way back when, okay, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. But we're making people pay for the debt and the sins of others in our current life because of what happened in our past life. Think of it like this. Let's say somebody does something really, really bad to us. And we tell them, you know what, all right, I, I forgive you. But somewhere down the line, we've simply transferred the debt and we're making someone else who truly loves us pay for the debt of someone else. Someone else who really cares for us pay for that debt. 
See, are we canceling the debt or are we simply transferring the debt? Are you someone who has made a lifestyle of transferring the debt? In other words, are you making people in your current life pay for the sins of those who have hurt you in your past life? This is very, very important. Think of it like this. This is for those of you that, let's just say for the ladies. Think of it like this. For those of you ladies, and this is very hurtful, maybe in your past you've been hurt. You got violated in your past. You got hurt in your past when you were a young little girl when something happened to you. Or even you were a young little boy. Something happened to you when you were a youngster. And somebody did something and they violated your spirit. They violated you. They violated your mind. They violated you. And things happened in your past and they hurt you. They hurt you deep down, deep down in your spirit. It hurt. But then all of a sudden we say, you know what, all right, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive them. Did you really forgive them or did you transfer it on to the husband or the wife that you now have? And make them pay for the sins of what someone else did to you. Are we really canceling the debt? Because if not, and if we're not careful, we're saying, God, I want to get to heaven, but I just don't want to bring that heaven to earth. Somebody owes me before I go there. Somebody owes me something. Someone's going to pay for this debt. See, this is very important, and I go back to that first question. If heaven and hell is not the issue, is Jesus still the best way to live? If it's not about heaven and it's not about hell, is Jesus still the way, the truth, and the life? See, this is something that's very, very important that I want to make sure that you and I, as Christians, we understand. That we need to live a life where we cancel a debt and not try to get even with someone. Someone's going to pay for this. Someone is going to have to pay for what happened to me. See, here in this story, Jesus is talking about canceling the debt. Canceling what has ever happened to you. You know, one of my favorite stories that actually is a combination of the calling of the disciples Whenever you look at the calling of the disciples, and I, I'll still never forget when I began to study it and really look into it, when somebody shared about it, I said, man, I'm going to really look into the story of the disciples. The first calling of the disciples, what I really love, the first calling of the disciples were fishermen, right? When he went out there, how did he call them? He went out there, and he got the fishermen. He said, I'm going to go get these guys. They're a bunch of nobodies. They're a bunch of rejects. Let's bring them all in, right? And so you and I as Christians, we go, yeah, we're rejects of society, but God has called us. We're disciples. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know what I love about the story is that the first four uh, uh, men, their occupation was the fishermen. What was the, uh, the disciples, the fifth uh, disciple that he called? What was his occupation? He was a tax collector. Think about this. A tax collector. Now, the Bible says that Jesus went around and he went to the, the banks of the Sea of Galilee and he called the fishermen. So now there's four fishermen following him. And there's others, but there's four that he had called directly. He's got these four. So he's got the four fishermen and he's walking along the sea. And now he's walking along the sea. And guess who he sees along the sea? A tax collector. If he sees a tax collector along the sea, who is he taxing? Fishermen. So what does Jesus do? Right away, fishermen, meet the tax collector. Tax collector, meet these fishermen. Together, you are now my disciples. That's messed up. That is jacked. Why is that jacked? Because tax collectors are the ones taking the food off of the table of the fishermen. 
These are the men that are robbing them. These are the men that are stealing. And what's very important, in the Roman oppression, they were not just taxing them the Romans' law. They were taxing them on what they felt. So they were not only giving the taxes to Caesar, but they were taking in and saying, you know what, well, ain't no Roman soldiers around. Yeah, uh, the tax is really 20%, but today, 30%. What? But the thing is, you got to pay it, because if you don't pay it, you don't fish. You don't fish, you don't live. So all of a sudden, Jesus gets fishermen, and he gets a tax collector, and he says, today, we're going to have a heart check. Today, we're going to check your heart. Today, we're going to see, do you really want to follow me? Because if you're going to follow me, you've got to forgive him. And you're going to forgive him not tomorrow. You're going to forgive him today. And you're going to walk with that tax collector today. You're going to walk with that fisherman today. So, oh, my God, that's messed up. Can I just follow you and say I'm going to heaven shouting victory? Can't I just show up to church and dress up and look nice and wear a tie and just be called a Christian like that? No. Cancel the debt. Do that. Can't I just, you know, every once in a while see them at Easter or Christmas and, you know, they're my family, but they're not really my family. Can I just do it like that? No. Cancel the debt. See, what Jesus was doing here was something more than just what you see at the cross. He was bringing heaven to earth. See, here this morning, I want to bring a little bit of heaven to your situation. Whatever you're going through, is Jesus still the way, the truth, and the life? See, here this morning, many of us, we look at the cross, and we look at it in a way where we see the favor for us. We see the favor in favor of us for our heavenly baggage check. But when it comes to the cross for heaven, we see it great. But when it it comes to the cross for bearing our cross on earth, I don't want to do that. That's a little bit too much. Can I just take the cross on my way to heaven? Do I really have to bear my cross? Yes, my friend, you do. You have to bear your cross. In Matthew chapter 5, turn with me there to verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. If you haven't, say amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Now, this is very important because what we're looking at here is something that I really, really liked. And the more I I talk with my wife and her family, and when we talk about certain subjects, there's certain subjects that you can tell a, a Jewish person just really gets like, ooh, like you could see it on their countenance when they when they talk about Auschwitz, when they talk about certain things that happen with the oppression of the people, the Jewish people in particular. Here in this story, the Jews were being oppressed. Now, I want to make sure that we really get a full understanding of this. They were being oppressed by the Roman government. Now, the Roman government was coming in and giving them martial law. Somebody say martial law. So the martial law was this. They would come in and pretty much do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, to whomever they want. So they were occupying Israel. Think of it like this. The the Roman government's coming in and occupying Israel. It's like the United States going to Canada and occupying Canada because we don't like their bacon or something, you know. We don't like the way you guys are making bacon. We're going to occupy Canada, right? 
So the United States just goes in there and, you know, or we go to Mexico, and right, and you guys don't have tacos the way that we do. We want, we're going to come in and we're going to take over, right? We're going to have Dia de los Tacos every day over here, you know. So the United States, just picture it like this. The United States goes to Canada, and we go into Canada, and we say, you know what? We are now going to be the rule of North America. Whatever we say goes. Now, the thing about it is that if we're going to come in with the U.S. laws, we have to come and occupy accordingly. And we got to occupy the way that we feel is best. So the way to do that is we send in our military might, right? Whenever you occupy any state, country, whatever it is, we're going to occupy, but we're going to send in the military first, right? That's why you, when you watch CNNs, it's, you know, it's, it's all about occupancy. I heard a general once say, the, the purpose of war is not about victory. The purpose of war is occupancy. I want to go in there. I want to occupy. This is now going to be our state. So now the United States is in Canada, and we're there, and we're occupying Canada, and we're sending in our military. But the problem or the challenge, I should say, with that is that once we send in our military, we can't keep them there a, a very long time because then how are we going to feed them, right? How are we going to, you know, we got to send them food, but the United States, we ain't going to pay for it. The United States is not going to pay for the military in Canada. So what do they do? They have to raise money. How do they raise money? Taxes. But who do they tax? Canadians. Tax the Canadians. Don't tax the United States. We ain't paying for that. We're not paying for none of that. So if we're going to occupy Canada, uh, make them pay for it. They're going to pay for that thing. That's what's happening right here. The Romans are occupying Israel. But the Romans aren't paying for it. Guess who's paying for it? The Jews. You're going to pay for this. Yeah, we're in your country, but you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for us being in your country. And we're going to do it however we want to do it. So not only are they paying for it, but they have to do it through intimidation, intimidating them, kind of ruling. with. Now, you have to remember, the Roman Empire at the time, they were very militant. They were very skilled. They knew how to do the, the, use their left and their right when it came to the spear. They were very, they were strong. They seen themselves as superior. They seen themselves as stronger than the Jewish people. So the Jewish people were very oppressed. There was a lot more of them than there were of the Romans, but the Romans were, were taxing them, and the Romans were intimidating them. And the way they would do it, I think I talked about this before, is that they would do it through intimidation, through inconsistency. There is a jail in Singapore that the way that they rule the jail, they rule the inmates is through inconsistency. They come in, and the wardens will come in, and what they do is they will make sure that they have control of the people, and the way to control them is through inconsistency. So what they do is the wardens come in, and today is a Monday. Today we're going to be happy. So all the wardens and all the uh, the people who are in charge, of the, we're going to be happy. Today is going to be a happy day. So all the jailers, hey, amen, this is great. Tuesday, we're going to be harsh. They would just choose whichever day. Today is going to be harsh day. Today is going to be happy day, whatever it is. And so the way that they rule is, is by inconsistency. You don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be on your best behavior, whatever I want to do. So here's the Romans. They come in, and they're being very inconsistent. If they feel like beating you up, I'm going to beat you up. If I feel like walking by, I'm just going to walk by. So now we see here, look with me here in Matthew chapter 5, because the taxes was very important. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he says, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. 
And if anyone wants to sue and, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Another translation says, be kind, even as your heavenly father is kind. Now, this is very important. And I've come to the main context of the message right here within this. Because as I was reading this, something really, really stood out to me. I've heard, I've read this scripture over and over and over. Has anybody else ever read this scripture before? Right? And you've read it over and over and over. And you hear, and you kind of picture turning the cheek, right? So you think, well, if somebody hits me, I'm just going to turn the other cheek and let them hit the other one. Has anybody else ever thought that? That's what I thought. I'll be honest with you. I just thought... Let him hit you on this cheek and tell him he can hit the other one, right, to show him how good you are, show him how, you know, you can't win. This is what I found. As the Jewish people, think about it this way. The Jewish people were being oppressed. And the Jewish people at one time in their life had entered the promised land. So somewhere along the lines of entering the promised land, oppression came in. The people living in oppression were probably hearing all the stories, singing all the songs, thinking, what in the world went wrong? How did we enter the promised land, but yet oppression came into my life? How did I become a Christian, but yet I still feel depressed? How did this happen? I thought everything was supposed to be great. I thought everything was supposed to be awesome. I thought we were supposed to shake everybody's hand. I thought everybody in the church was just supposed to smile and shake my hand and supposed to love me. That's what I thought was supposed to happen. Once I accepted Jesus in my life, everything was supposed to be great. Where did oppression come from? Think about that for a quick second. So all of a sudden, he can come to the piano now. I don't know where he's at. He can come to the piano. Think about this. The Romans are oppressing the Jews. Jesus comes in and says, I know they're oppressing you, but I want you to turn the other cheek. I know they're oppressing you, but I want you to give them your coats. I know they're oppressing you, but I want you to go with them another mile. Now think about this. That's a heavy statement. Right? That's crazy. I know you're in depression. I know you don't have it all together, but I want you to do the complete opposite of what your natural instincts wants to do. 